So welcome to everybody this morning. Welcome to you if maybe you're a guest with us today, uh, joining us for the first time. Special welcome to those who are joining us online as well. We're kicking off a 10-week series called What Would Jesus Undo? Now, I just want to share with you a little bit of how my world works. Uh, when I pray about these series and I put these things together, um, when we finish this 10 weeks, the next series right after that is Advent, the four weeks before Christmas. So if you think life just seems to go by really fast, like, man, when you live in a world where you're planning your life based on Sundays, it just seems like you only have 52 days of the year. And it's like, it's Christmas again, you know. So uh, I really hope that this next season, as we go through this series together, and as all of our life groups are studying and going through this topic together of what would Jesus undo, I really trust that uh, you'll be richly blessed uh, by this. And just a reminder, we've been talking about this for the last three weeks. If you are not in a life group, it's still really easy to join one. You can download the church app. There's a big button there that says life group. You can click that. You can find the group that is best for you. Or you could also check out the website as well. So what would Jesus undo? This is uh, something that I learned about last year and uh, has been really speaking to me as I've been studying scripture and I've been looking at this idea. I think there's something about Western Christianity that views the Christian faith as something we do. It's something we do. It's we take our regular ordinary, busy lives, and we add Christianity to it. So whether you're a stay-at-home parent, or you work, or you're going to school, it's you have your life, and we're in this tension, we're in this almost battle to go, hmm, how can I take the teachings of Jesus, of what Jesus tells me to do, and add that onto my full calendar already. <laughs> and I think we made this idea incredibly popular when we started the phrase as Christians, what would Jesus do? How many of you had the bracelet? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Right? We go through life kind of constantly asking ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? And now Jesus does teach his followers that there are a number of things that we should be doing. But when you actually study the teachings of Jesus, you go through all of his parables, you go through the New Testament, you see Jesus is far more concerned with you undoing things in your life. If you were to compare the list of things Jesus wants us to do, to the list of things that Jesus has come to set us free from, it's almost a hundred to one. Jesus is much more concerned, not with you just taking your life and trying to stick Christianity on top of it, but he wants to see so many things in your life and in my life to be undone. He wants to undo so many of the things that we have been striving so hard to build up in our lives. So over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be talking about some great topics. We're going to talk next week about a hollow worship, worship that just doesn't even like, you know, leave the pew. It doesn't even like leave the building. 
what does bad worship look like? We're going to talk about that because Jesus wants to undo it. We're going to talk about spiritual pride. How Jesus wants to undo that. We're going to talk about greed. We're going to talk about hypocrisy. We're going to talk about shame. We're going to talk about indifference. We're going to talk about fear. We're going to talk about living a private faith. We're going to be talking about bondage to sin. All of these things that Jesus wants to undo in your life and in my life. And today, we're, I really felt we need to start this series off talking about what I believe is the most crucial thing to truly understand what Jesus wants to set us free from. And I want to talk today about the topic of unforgiveness. You see, we live in a culture today that's fascinating right now. We live in a culture today um, that... Experts are calling a victim culture where we sit around in our little huddles and we debate and argue over who is the greatest victim. When someone in your life group shares problems that they're going through, here's a great Christian example of it is we don't listen to them and hear what their struggle is and what their problem is. We are already formulating in our head how our life is worse than theirs. (laughs) How the problem that they have, the problem that they're sharing, oh boy, you don't know problems. I have problems. (laughs) Have you ever done that? I know I have. We live in this culture today where we are actually categorizing people based on their level of victimhood. And we all cry the victim. Woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. I, my life, my problems, my this, my that. Right? And what can tend to happen in a culture that's moving rapidly to this victim mindset is when someone hurts us, the whole concept of of forgiving someone who hurts us in a victim mindset is completely foreign. Because it's almost like, well, when this person hurts us, it almost elevates our victimhood. (laughs) And it's a good thing. Now look how the attention I get because of all the hurt I've received. And we become calloused towards the people who hurt us. And we become less and less forgiving. Maybe just show of hands, how many of you have ever been hurt by another human being? (laughs) Yeah, every single one of us at some point in life has been hurt by someone. Maybe that person who has hurt you is sitting right beside you this morning. If they are, don't make eye contact right now, okay? That's okay. You know, don't start poking them in the ribs. And yeah, we're speaking to you today, right? We've all have been hurt by someone, whether it's a family member, whether it's someone on our job, whether it was another student at school. We have all been hurt. But here's the flip side. You and I have all hurt people as well, intentionally or unintentionally. Right? That's kind of the human condition that we live in. Right? And so this whole idea that I want us to look at is 
What does Jesus have to say about forgiveness? What does Jesus teach us as followers of Christ in this world today on the topic of unforgiveness? Because I think if there's one thing that I have seen derail people in their faith the quickest is the topic of unforgiveness. I have, over the last 20 years that I have been following Jesus and the last 12 years of being a pastor, I have seen so many Christians be completely gripped by the power of unforgiveness. Is no way, no how, never will I forgive. And when that grips us, we are on a fast spiral downwards to seeing our faith have less and less impact in our lives. And this topic is, is something that, that I, I wrestle with and I struggle with because in, in my 12 years of pastoring, um, you know where I've personally been hurt the most? Take a wild guess. Name one place where I've been hurt the most in the last 12 years. Church! What's the deal with that? <laughs> Those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of the living God, we seem to be really good at killing our own <laughs> and attacking our own and hurting one another. <laughs> sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And In the church context, what can happen when we have been hurt by other Christians, we build up walls, we put up barriers around our house, uh, around our house. Yeah, sure, if you want to build a barrier around your house, you can do that. And you know, you've really gone far when you've done that. We build barriers around our heart, different H word, heart, not home. We build barriers around our hearts. We keep distant from people. We stop serving. We stop attending life group. We start sitting in the chair, and that's about it. And Jesus has a lot to say about the topic of forgiveness. And so that's why I want us to look at this closely of what Jesus says. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is the key text that we're going to sit in today. And just to kind of set the stage a little bit of what Jesus is talking about, Matthew chapter 18 is one of those very, very famous passages that we as Christians like to um, throw out at people because it's the whole passage on how to correct other Christians, (laughs) Okay, we love this passage so that we can point it at somebody else, right? Like this person who sinned against me, this person who has hurt me, boy, oh boy, you better pastor pull out Matthew chapter 18 on that person because I'm the victim here. We all love Matthew chapter 18 when we've been hurt. None of us like Matthew chapter 18 when we're the ones who hurt someone else. You see, because when someone hurts us, they're a horrible human being. They're a dirty, rotten sinner who's no good, and they deserve to be punished by the church. But when I hurt someone, well, no, 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 no. see, Pastor, you don't understand. There, there was a reason why. And, and you don't understand, like, it, it was an accident. It was a mistake. Like, we have excuses for ourselves and blame for other people. So Matthew chapter 18 is a wonderful passage, but it's an incredibly dangerous passage if you do not have 
forgiveness in your heart. If you want to use Matthew chapter 18 as a tool for vengeance and judgment, that's what Jesus is getting at. So he talks about how do we correct people in sin. And he's not talking about non-Christians. He's talking about people in the church, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters who sin against us. This isn't the non-Christian. This isn't the people living like the world lives. I heard a great speaker talking about this just this past week. And he said, you know what? Let the world live like the world and let the church live like the church. We have to stop using passages that are talking church to church, Christian to Christian, and stop throwing these verses at people who live like the world and are in the world and of the world because they don't know any better. This is for us if you call yourself a Christian. So he's talking about this whole idea of forgiving people. And then so he talks about the forgiveness of people. How do we restore people who sin against us? And then I actually want to start reading in verse 21 because I love this. I love whenever Jesus gives this deep, meaningful teaching, the apostles, the disciples show up and start trying to show off how spiritual they are. Verse 21 of chapter 18 says this. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Again, Jesus just finished talking about what you should do if a brother or sister sins against you. He says, you know, you kind of go to them. You try to restore the relationship. Everything about the teaching of Jesus is about restoration and love. Everything about the teaching of Jesus is about restoration and love. It's not about judgment. It's not about demonizing. It's not about casting out. It's about restoration and love every time. And so Peter goes, okay, you've just told us we have to have an attitude of restoration. We have to have an attitude of love. So this brother who sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive this person? How many times do I have to forgive this person? Seven times? You see, the teaching that was happening back in the days of Jesus was the rabbis were basically teaching that three times is enough. If you have someone, another person in the people of Israel keeps sinning against you, you forgive them once. And if they do it again, you forgive them again. And if they do it again, you forgive them a third time. And if they do it again, that's it. No more. No more Mr. Nice Guy. No more Mrs. Nice Gal. That's it. Now the claws come out and we dispose of this person. We're done forgiving. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, chunk of flesh for chunk of flesh. That's enough. And so what Peter's doing here, he's going, well, Jesus, look how spiritual I am. You see, the rabbi says three times. I say seven. Look how good I am, Jesus. You almost want, you can almost see Peter there looking for that nice little Christian pat on the back. Good job, Peter. You got it right. But I love Jesus. As Jesus goes to Peter, he says, um, no. (laughs) Continues in verse 22. Jesus answered, well, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Maybe your translation says seven times 70. There's there's kind of some debate on the number. The reality is, 
doesn't matter if it's 77 or 70 times 7. What Jesus is saying is, this is a lot. Can you imagine forgiving someone who keeps messing up in your life 70 times? 77 times? What about 70 times 7 times? This is a crazy number of having to forgive people, right? Jesus is speaking incredibly countercultural, where even the religious people say, no, no, three times is enough. Three times and kick this person to the curb. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's no number. We forgive. Think of the culture we live in today. Does our culture forgive three times? Doesn't feel like it sometimes. Does our culture forgive seven times? It actually feels like most of the time our culture barely forgives once because we're too busy pulling out the victim card. Woe is me, woe is me. This person needs judgment instantly, right now. Bring it, Lord. Lightning, come on. And Jesus is reminding us, no, 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 no. There's something much more at play here. And then he goes in and he tells a story. It's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. So let's read this story. This is what Jesus said to explain the point. Jesus says this. Jesus said, therefore, so because I'm telling you, you don't forgive seven times, you forgive 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement... A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before, before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he grabbed him, and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother in your heart. See, Jesus doesn't leave us a whole lot of wiggle room here. He he, he doesn't seem to allow the Christian permission to live an unforgiving life towards other Christians. This victim mentality that I deserve, they don't 
earn. All of these things, the language that we use to justify the hardening, the hardening of our hearts. <laughs> Jesus doesn't seem to give any wiggle room here. Right? This parable it uses a lot of really powerful language. The first thing it talks about is it talks about just this idea of this king who has come to settle account. Like this, this term, settling accounts, is pretty ominous. <laughs> when someone comes to settle account, this is, I've come for what you owe me now. It's not later. It's not, let's set up a three-year repayment plan. It's, it's judgment has come. <laughs> and the king has come to settle this account And whether you have what is due the king or not doesn't matter. Now is the due date. (laughs) And he tells this story, Jesus tells this story with these two different servants, with these two different debts. The first one has a debt of many talents. Now, if we were to convert that money that Jesus talks about into our modern day language of money, give or take, depending on which Bible scholar you listen to, but it could be anywhere between four and six billion American dollars. Four to six billion American dollars is owed this king from this one servant. That's the kind of debt. I don't know, like, when I have some debt in my life and I've got some credit cards that are, you know, kind of starting to climb up a little bit and, holy smokes, I better pay this off. Worst case scenario has never been anywhere near this kind of money. <laughs> praise be to God. If any of you are struggling with a $4 billion debt, please come talk and let's pray and figure something out. Okay, this is, this is unpayable. You can't mortgage off your home. You can't sell enough kidneys to deal with this kind of money. There's only two kidneys. Okay, two? I think so. I didn't do biology very well. Anyways, this debt is unpayable it is completely and totally unpayable there is no way this servant is ever going to be able to pay the king what is owed and so the king is planning on taking everything he has taking him his wife his children putting them into slavery taking their home taking their business business whatever it is they have the king is about to liquidate everything so at least he gets a little bit back of what's owed to him and this servant realizes the mess that he's in and he falls to his knees begging in mercy please give me a little bit more time Now, the king could have just said, sure, I'll give you another year or two. I'll give you a little bit more time. But the king doesn't respond that way because he's a good king. He's a loving king. He's a merciful king. And the king takes pity on this servant and says, your debt is canceled. It is completely and totally canceled. Just think for a moment how happy you would be if your visa statement came in and there's been a big balance on it for a long time and the next month's statement comes in and it says zero. Praise be to God, right? Now, how many of you 
you're hesitant about this. And a part of you wants to call the bank to see if it's a problem. You want, you're a Christian, you want to be honest, you want to be truthful, you feel like you should call the bank, but you don't want to call the bank. Why? Because you don't want them to realize they've made a mistake. <laughs> you're happy to live in the mistake that they've kind of made this error on your bank statement, right? This isn't what's happening here. The language in the Greek of being canceled means it is completely forgotten. It is wiped away like it never even existed. That is what the king has done for this servant. And this servant who has received this forgiveness from this loving, merciful king then finds another servant. And again, based on depending on, you know, which, you know, study Bible you read, it's looking like about this other servant owed the first servant maybe about ten to $12,000. A lot of money, absolutely. But if you and I, you know, had a debt of ten, twelve thousand dollars dollars we could do some stuff. We, we could, you know, find a way. We could sell one kidney. That would cover most of it. You know, we could liquidate some stuff. We got some assets we could sell. We could put our, you know, TV on Kijiji, things like that. Like, we we could manage this if we really had to. The unpayable debt and the payable debt with a little bit of work. (laughs) Completely forgiven and wiped away. (laughs) And the response from that person is, give me what you owe me. And it's not even just give me what you owe me. When you, again, when you look at it, it's he grabs the other servant by the throat and begins to choke him. Jesus is painting a powerful picture here. What he's painted for us is a contrast between our sin against God and other people's sin against us. Let me say that again. Jesus has painted a contrast for us of our sin against God compared to other people's sin against us. And so the big idea that I want us to continue unpacking together today through this text is this. Is as we have been forgiven, we forgive. As we have been forgiven, we forgive. That is the heart of the Christian message. If there is anything that I think Jesus wants to undo in Western Christianity, it's this idea that we have somehow, we have permission to walk around unforgiving other Christians. Because nowhere in here do we see that. In the teachings of Jesus. You can almost think of church like a big giant chemistry experiment. Where each and every one of us is a different little vial of chemicals. And we're throwing all of it into one big glass jar called the church. And we hope it doesn't explode. (laughs) We're trying to learn how to love God and love each other as we love ourselves. 
And it's going to be hit and miss because your sin is going to rub against my sin. My sin is going to rub up against your sin. There's going to be tension. There's going to be frustrations and all of these things. But the goal always is restoration and love. When we remember this parable, comparing our sin against God and comparing other people's sin against us. The first unpayable debt is our sin. See, when we look at who God is, how holy he is, how perfect he is, how righteous he is, how loving he is, even the tiniest little sin in our lives, the Bible teaches, is as dirty rags to this God. Even our smallest sin the little white lie, the little cheat on our taxes, being a little grumpy with our spouse on the way to church, whatever it was, the Bible says we are enemies of God. That we're all under this judgment of this perfect, holy God. The smallest of sin. And again, in our victim culture, well, we don't think we sin. It's other people keep sinning against me. I'm the victim here. I'm the victim here. I'm the victim here. I didn't sin. They sinned. No, we all sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Regardless of how big it is, how small it is, the tiniest sin God sees as an unpayable debt. There isn't a single religion on the planet that you could do perfectly that would please God. Again, if you think the Christian faith is about you just need to do more, do more, do more, you will never be able to do enough. You can't serve enough. You can't volunteer enough. You can't put enough money in the offering plate. You can't join you know, so, you know, a life group every single day. Whatever it is, there's nothing you can do to pay off the debt. And because God is so loving... He sent Jesus to pay the debt for us. And he has offered us mercy and grace. This unpayable debt that we all carry because we're human beings was dealt with on the cross when Jesus died. And not only was the debt dealt with, the amount owing was forgotten. That is the forgiveness that God offers to all of us, that when we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, when we believe in our heart that Jesus was risen from the dead to pay for our sin, our sin is forgotten. It is as far away as the east is from the west. The unpayable debt that we had was paid in full. It is forgotten. That's why you're new. That's why you can be, you know, have this life everlasting. That's why we need to talk about getting rid of shame and bondage and all the other stuff we're going to look at in this series. You have to grasp the forgiveness that you've received. It's ginormous. And as we try to figure out church... In 2,000 years, we haven't gotten it perfect yet, and we never will on this side of heaven. We'll make mistakes. I'll make mistakes. The elders will make mistakes. 
you'll make mistakes, and we'll learn to figure this thing out, forgiving one another. Because the little sin that Jesus talks about in this parable, when we sin against each other, it's small. And it can be worked out. It may take some work. I'm not saying it doesn't. Paying off that $12,000 debt takes some work. But it can be done. But we have to have the perspective right. Our unforgivable debt to God dealt with in full. The sin against one another can be dealt with. But we have to have that heart of forgiveness. As we have been forgiven, so we forgive. That has got to be our mantra as a church. In this day and age, in a culture that is not forgiving anybody of anything, (laughs) just go through your social media feed and see all the angry people online not forgiving nobody for nothing. I was watching a whole bunch of YouTube things last night, stayed up a little bit too late. You know, there's a lot of angry Star Wars people. (laughs) Weird. Geeks are really mean online. And it's so easy to become one of them. To let that bitterness grip into our hearts. Let that anger, let that attitude of, I deserve. How dare she? And that takes over our hearts. What would Jesus undo? Jesus wants to undo unforgiveness that may have crept into my heart and may have crept into your heart as well. See, and this is the added, this is the thing that Jesus gets at, at when he concludes this parable here. Like, look at the, the words he uses here, right? This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. There's other passages that strongly imply if you cannot forgive people, you may need to take a look at your faith. And I'm not the type of person who likes to point people out and judge people and say, well, maybe you're not a Christian. But if you have so gone down a path that you are unable to forgive people, Jesus makes a strong case. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're a churchgoer. And there's a difference. So we have to look at the topic of forgiveness first before we could talk about anything else over the next 10 weeks. We have to understand just what we have been forgiven from. The sin in our lives against a holy, perfect, righteous, loving God is completely wiped away. And he sends his spirit into us when the the spirit that forgives is in you and me so that we can live lives forgiving those who sin against us. So how can we do this? How can we grow in this? How can we truly forgive people who hurt us? And again, I'm talking Christian to Christian right now because this is what the parable is about. How do we grow in this as a church family? How do we grow in this to truly get rid of unforgiveness? 
three things I want to go through from some different passages of Scripture to help us grow in this. encourage you to write these things down. You're going to be discussing these in your life group this week. So how can we forgive those who hurt me? The first is this. Confess your own sin. Again, we like to make excuses for our sin and judgment on the sin of other people. We have reasons why that person doesn't have reasons. They just stink. They're just a horrible person. The starting point for this is to confess our own sins. I love in 1 John 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he, being God, is faithful, and he's just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The starting point of having a heart of forgiveness is constantly being reminded of the forgiveness that's available for you and I. When, you know, again, I've shared some of the deepest hurt I've ever received, unfortunately, has been in the context of the church. And it's easy to kind of pull rank. It's easy to say, I don't deserve. It's easy to have a pity party. But when these tensions happen, we have to take a good, hard look at our own lives and say, is there a sin here that I've done? And if I have, I confess it. I repent. I apologize. And you receive God's righteousness when you do that. You and I sin every day. I'm willing to bet an arm on that. There's not many things I'd give up an arm for. The left arm. I need the right. I'm right-handed. I bet my left arm that you and I sin every day. Confession is an everyday thing for the follower of Jesus. And not to beat ourselves up, not to make ourselves feel guilty, not so that we can oh, be, you know, think how horrible we are. We're going to deal with shame later on in this series. But so that we can seek God's righteousness. If you truly want a heart that can forgive others, it starts with that constant reminder of what you have been forgiven of. We confess our sins because our sin is a big deal. Our sin is a big deal. Jesus didn't die for nothing. Jesus didn't die for a small deal. Jesus died for a big deal. And that's your sin and my sin. None of us are perfect. We all fall short. We all need to bring those sins before God regularly. You want a heart of forgiveness? Seek God's forgiveness daily about your own sin. It starts there. The second thing that scripture teaches us if we want to develop a heart of forgiveness is that we need to work out bitterness, anger, slander, and malice. Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32 says, get rid of. I love that language. Get rid of it. In the Greek, it means get rid of it. Okay, if you've got something in your home that is slowly killing you, get rid of it. If there's open chemicals or anything dangerous in your home, we don't keep that stuff lying around. We get rid of it because it's bad for us. And what Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander along with every form of malice. you got to get rid of it. 
And the longer it's there, the deeper the roots get in. So sometimes you might have to, you know, like take out some gardening tools and a chainsaw and do some big heart work to get rid of it. And the beauty is Paul tells us how we can start getting rid of it. He says, how can you get rid of this stuff? He says, be kind. Be kind. Be compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. When you feel that anger kicking in, your mother was right. Do something nice. When you want to say something mean about someone, your mother was right. If you can't say anything nice, don't say it at all. <laughs> you know, you want to put someone down? We tried to implement this thing in our home. It was a complete total failure. Maybe you'll succeed at it better. If one of the kids puts down one of the other kids, they say, no, you've got to give a put up now. You have to say something nice. Well, here's my nice thing. You're not as ugly as people think you are. That's not nice. (laughs) Be kind. Be compassionate. It may take a little bit of work, but you have to get rid of it. Whatever it takes. It's what I do. And sometimes it's hard because I want to hold this one. I'm great at pity parties. I'm great at looking at something and, you know, when stuff happens and things come my way, it's like, I I don't deserve this. And how dare they speak to me that way? Pity party, pity party. No. You know what I start doing? I stop what I'm doing. I take the thought captive. I get rid of it. And I pray, God, just bless that person. Just God, I just pray that that person would feel more of your love right now. And God, if there's a way I could show love in this situation, God, would you just show me that? And sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. But what he's doing is he's working on my heart. You got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. You got to get rid of it. You can't let the root grow in your heart. And then, so yeah, so first, confess our own sins. Second, work out the bitterness, the anger, the slander, the malice. And then finally, I think scripture is incredibly clear uh, clear on how we do this is we actually have to uh, grow with others. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Christianity was never meant to be a, a solo sport. Christianity is not something you go to. It's not something you consume. It's who we are. And we do it together. Learning to pray for one another. Learning to forgive one another. Serving together. Encouraging one another. One of my favorite things is the spiritual kick in the rump to move me on. I like receiving a good spiritual kick in the rump. And sometimes I like giving a good spiritual kick in the rump. You can't do that when you're doing it by yourself. We encourage, we build up, we spur on, we love, we encourage, all these things. And so that's why we constantly are saying, that's why we want every single person to be in a life group. Because we firmly believe that that is how you will grow the most in your spiritual walk with Jesus. Not just coming and sitting in a chair on Sunday morning. It's not just serving occasionally. 
but it's finding a few people that you can do life with, (laughs) that you can pray with, that you can share your struggles with, who can hold you accountable, that maybe that root of unforgiveness is starting to get pretty deep, (laughs) and they can help you get rid of it. That's the beauty of it. And we take, we take this so seriously. We try to create group environments for every age group. We try to get little kids in groups. Our teenagers are centered around groups. Our adults are centered around groups because we fundamentally believe this is of crucial importance for our faith. Now, if you haven't made that step yet to join a life group, I mean, I don't know how we could make it any easier, but we did. In <laughs> um, the chair in front of you is a connection card. I want you to pick... Monday, Wednesday, or Thursday? What night are you free? Write your name, your email address. If you're not in a group, say, I might be able to make this evening. Monday, Wednesday, or Thursday. And you put that in the offering basket when it goes by later on, and we'll help you get into a group on one of those nights. <laughs> Making this real easy for you. I'm doing the work for you now. Okay? <laughs> That's how important we believe this is. You need to confess your sin. Daily, you need to get rid of all anger and slander and malice and bitterness. And you need to do it with other people. Because as we have been forgiven, we forgive. Could you imagine the impact that the church would have if Jesus truly gets rid of our victim mentality? And we're men and women, boys and girls, living in the power of the Spirit, loving one another, forgiving those who harm us, forgiving those who sin against us. When our culture sees that, they'll be like, what's going on with those people? That will change the world. (laughs) And that's what Jesus died for. And that's the message we proclaim. Jesus wants to undo unforgiveness in all of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we realize that in a room this size, some of us have dealt with big hurt. And Lord, we don't pass that over lightly. And we know it hurts when when those big things happen in life, when people come against us and sin against us and break our hearts and But God, we also know the truth of your word that says that if we could forgive, that we would be set free. When we truly forgive those who sin against us, it takes away their power that they hold over us. The power to keep us hurt, the power to keep us disappointed, the power to keep us feeling betrayed and forgotten or unloved. As we have been forgiven a great debt, God, you are calling us to forgive our debtors. You even taught us this in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, that as those who sin against us, we will forgive them. So help us grow in that, Father, each and every one of us. Jesus, we know you want to undo unforgiveness in our lives. And that starts with just even coming to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're here today or you're watching this online and maybe you've been doing the church thing, but you realize you're not a forgiving person. And that might be because you've never truly received God's forgiveness. (laughs) And you don't need to take a class to do that. The Bible says if you just believe that Jesus died for you, if you confess (laughs) 
that Jesus is Lord and that, Jesus, and that God raised him from the dead three days to pay for your sin, the Bible says when you accept that forgiveness that was given to you, that you'll be made new. And the Spirit of God will come into your heart and come into your life and will start you on a journey and give you the power to forgive others if you continue to walk in that spirit. So if you do that this morning, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Or if you do that online, send me a message. But God doesn't want you to go to church. God wants you to be a part of his family. And for those of us who've made that decision, who've given our hearts to Jesus, we find there's just some things we just can't forgive. Today, God wants to set you free from that. You need to be reminded of the great, great debt that you have been set freed from. That debt was so great, it was going to send you to a place where you'd be separated from the love of God for all eternity. But because God loves you so much, he died for you. He's adopted you into his family. He's made you a son or daughter of the most high God. And you can know the peace of God that surpasses all understanding here in this life and in the life to come. And because of that gift we've received... We grow in forgiving others. As we have been forgiven, we forgive.